This is the Baltimore Annapolis Psychotherapy Podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's Laura Reagan, LCSWC, with today's episode. Hi, welcome to today's podcast. Today, I have a guest with me. I'm very pleased to tell you about Mari Lee, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified sex addiction therapist and supervisor in Glendora, California. Mari specializes in helping spouses and partners of sex addicts, as well as male and female clients who are sex, love, and pornography addicts. And she has a best-selling book entitled Facing Heartbreak, Steps to Recovery for Partners of Sex Addicts. She's a speaker and a teacher on this subject, and she trains and supervises therapists um, who want to work with people who have sex addiction. And in addition to all of that, she's a coach helping therapists, counselors, and other small business owners to achieve their practice goals. So Mari, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, hi, Laura. Thank you so much. It's really um, exciting to be here with you, and I look forward to our conversation. Me too. I'm so glad to have the chance to actually talk to you on the podcast. We've sort of communicated for a while through some of the therapist groups on social media, and now we're finally connecting verbally, I guess you could say, out loud. I know it's so fun. Um, I've I've really long admired the work that you're doing and all the all the goodness that you're doing to support uh, clients who are are moving through trauma and the good workshops that you facilitate using Brene Brown's Daring Way and so respect your work, Laura. So it's lovely to connect with you um, via Skype here in our interview and um, just looking forward to sharing information to support your listeners today in whatever way I can. Wonderful. Well, thank you. I'm so excited. So I'll dive right in. I was looking at your beautiful website. Um, You actually have two websites and... um, Looking at your coaching website, which is the counselorscoach.com, I get that right? Uh, yes, the counselor, that's a tongue twister, the counselorscoach.com, that's right. Gotcha. So I was noticing on that website that you talk about how you live by the philosophy that each therapist can have a practice that is prosperous and exciting and make a living at the work you love to do while still having a personal life. I really loved reading that because Mm. I know as a private practitioner, um, creating a a therapy practice that really works for my personal life as well as my professional life and my work with clients is it's, it can be challenging. So I'd love if you could talk a little bit about how you live that philosophy. Mm. One of my favorite topics to talk Uh, talk on Laura. So thank you. I love the question. Um, Yeah, so I've been doing this work as a a sex addiction uh, therapist now for almost a decade. And I remember in graduate school, um, a professor that I really respected, um, Dr. Kim Kametz, I remember her talking about, you know, burnout and compassion fatigue in the clinical room. And I'm this, you know, very green, you know, student of psychology in my first semester of graduate school. 
And I remember hearing Dr. Kim say this and thinking, oh, that's not going to happen to me. I'm really built for this work. You know, I'm everybody's go-to person. You know, people come to me with their problems since I was a little girl. So I've got this in the bag. I'm not going to have to worry about burnout. How hard can it be? You're sitting in a room with a client, doing the work that you love, using the tools that you learn. This is going to be a breeze. Mm-hmm. And um, so... I started in the work and um, was very fortunate that my practice began to build very quickly. Um, I got into the um, specialization of sex addiction, actually really quite by accident. I had thought that my specialization would be working with foster care children or perhaps women in transition. Um, But during um, graduate school, I was looking for a topic for my thesis, which is a big you know, year and a half long project and a big 200 page research project. And I found out that the person that I was with at the time was profoundly addicted to internet pornography. And so that was a traumatic wounding for me as a woman and a human being. And it was very difficult for the relationship. And so I wanted to learn more about, I really didn't know much about porn addiction or sex addiction or any of that. And I decided to do my research on what the psychological impact and emotional impact was to the female partner of somebody who's a sex or porn addict. And that's how I got into that specialization. And as you can well imagine, it's, you know, quite a rigorous specialization working with sex addicts and their partners, a lot of trauma there. And, you know, as a trauma therapist, Laura, what that can be like emotionally through the trauma of betrayal, right? So in doing that work and building a practice quickly, I began to see a lot of clients. Um, I was really kind of blessed to have a, a, a thriving practice. I didn't ever take insurance. I wasn't interested in doing that and just made a determination that while I have nothing at all against anybody who, you know, I have no really real thought about um, therapists who work with insurance. It just wasn't a road that I, I chose to go down. And so um, I started seeing clients and I began seeing clients. Uh, my schedule is Monday through Friday. I was trying to serve a lot of clients all the time. Um, I usually got into my office about 10 a.m. and I would work sometimes all the way until 9 p.m. seeing clients back to back, running groups, seeing couples. It was a lot of work and I did that five days a week. And in the first year, it was invigorating. I really enjoyed it. And then by year two, I started noticing that I was um, not feeling good, just generally speaking, just getting little colds, um, not really understanding why I was more susceptible to colds, um, not really even aware that I was starting to experience that burnout in the clinical room. And so when I came into that awareness It was scary for me because, one, I had a thriving practice. I was working with a lot of clients that I really cared about, but I realized that I was going, that I was in a place of burnout and that part of the reason why I was getting colds and just feeling just sort of shut down, I was coming home after my office hours and not wanting to hear another human voice. I felt like my brain was sort of just melting out of my ears, to be Mm. honest with you. I would say that to my sister. I can't really hear anybody talking to me. I don't want to hear from my significant other. I don't want to get on the phone. I don't want to go and have lunch with my best friend. I don't want to go. I don't even want to go and do my workout classes because I don't want to be around other people. 
And this was a real departure for me. I was starting to lose my sense of humor a little bit, Laura, Mm. and not understanding what was going on. And so I got in touch with my own therapist and she wisely shared with me, I think what you're going through is compassion fatigue, Mari. You are not giving from a place of abundance anymore and you need to take a serious look at the amount of clients that you're seeing and and begin to seriously decide three years into this work that you're doing um, how you want that to um, how you want to design that for yourself. And so I can talk about that more exactly what those steps look like. But to answer your question, Laura, that's that's really what brought me into awareness. Um, I just overbooked and I was really tired. Thank you so much for sharing that. That mm-hmm. is. I know something that it's almost like a best kept secret for therapists who are working with trauma. Everyone hears um, that burnout is something that we should, that we need to avoid and we need to practice self care, Uh but nobody thinks it's them. Right, right, right. Somehow we are wonder women or wonder men that we're impervious to that. And, um, and, and I have to say, you know, I was surprised there was also, I remember feeling this was a number of years ago now, but I remember moving into a place of shame with myself Mm -hmm. that somehow, um, you know, what I was teaching clients about, um, uh, you know, self care and checking in with themselves and staying, you know, in a mindful place with themselves. I wasn't practicing that. And so moving through that process of of shame and taking a look at that, and as I began to share my story and face the fear of having to design a practice that looked different for myself, um, and I began to share this with other colleagues, colleagues began to open up to me as well and let me know I'm so thankful to hear that I'm not the only one and that I'm not the only one that's afraid that if I read my practice or I decide what my policy is going to be or I decide what my hours of operation are going to be and I really honor that um, that I'm not going to go broke you know and I for me Laura I pay my own mortgage you know I I'm the one who is responsible for my bills so it was concerning to me and I'm 53 now and you know at the time I was you know in my early 40s and it was concerning you know so um, it's not, you know, if, if, if a listen, if somebody listening is hearing this and they're going through that, you know, it's it, like you say, it's a best kept secret, you know? Yeah. And, and your point about the shame of it is so true because I think if we suspect that we are experiencing vicarious trauma, compassion, fatigue, or burnout, um, that it's, Oh, I wasn't strong enough. Right. And of course, it's we're human, just like our clients. And mm-hmm. so to pretend that we have superhuman powers of not feeling is inauthentic, disingenuous. And how can clients trust us if we don't even see what's going on with ourselves? Exactly. I, I well, well stated. Yes, exactly, Laura. And so for me, it began... Um, 
Uh, so what I did, Laura, was I, I, you know, I just took stock and um, I sat very quietly with myself. I re- remember the day very clearly. I took myself down to the beach. I live in Southern California. I made it a point to go down there and I hadn't been to the beach in probably two years. Mm. And just, it was at sunset. I brought my little beach chair out and, you know, brought my journal out. And I began to really think about who I am as a woman first. What what parts of my day do I need for Mari? And what I realized is that I do my most creative writing and my most, I'm an author, as you know, mm-hmm. but I do my most creative work, writing and other passions that I'm interested in, in the early morning hours. That's also when I really like to get a workout in. That's when I like to be out in nature, take a hike, go for a walk, go for a bike ride. Um, I'm a cat person, so you know that's when I have my kitty time. <laughs> I really needed that first part of my day. And now I really enjoy starting to see clients in the afternoon around 1 or 2 o'clock. And I realized that seeing 8, 9 clients a day wasn't something that I wanted to do. I happen to really like group work. And so I decided that it, even though it was scary, I was going to start seeing clients um, particular days that I, were, I was going to take Mondays for myself and start creating other income streams. As you may know, I think you do know, Laura, I do webinars and workshops on teaching therapists how to create multiple income streams versus just active income, which is income where we have to be physically present. Mm -hmm. So I thought to myself, I'm going to find other ways of creating income streams and I need a day to be able to focus on that. I'm going to see clients on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And I love mentoring and teaching and coaching. And I did that. I've, this is, you know, my third successful business that I've had. And I've done that in each one of my businesses before. And I thought, you know, it's time for me to re, um, to, you know, to reignite my passion for coaching and mentoring other professionals. But I first have to coach and mentor myself. Mm -hmm. So I decided to set up my week where Mondays were my day for writing and producing income streams. And then I would see clinical clients on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays from 2 p.m. until 7 p.m. And then facilitate groups. And a group is a way of making leveraged income. You're taking, you know, 90 minutes of time but making quite a bit more income than you would from just seeing a client in that time, one client, that is. And so that's how I set up my practice. And then on Fridays, I began to, over time, develop a coaching business that I've been, that's been thriving and that I love really for the last five years now. So for me, that's the way that I began to work that. And I, and I started doing that for a few years, absolutely loved it. And because I was able to produce, you know, books and materials for therapists, um, I, yeah, I know we'll be touching on some of those materials later, but but that developed other ways of making up for those hours um, that I wasn't taking on clients. And I was able to be very present with the clients that I was seeing. I had an, I brought a new energy into the work. Um, I felt super present. I saw changes and growth in my clients. And I didn't rely just on my clinical income as a support anymore, which felt really good. So that's what I did. And we can talk about my fifth week if you'd like, but I'll, I'll pause there. I just wanted to give you a little outline of how I moved into that. Yeah. 
Thank you. I think that people who are listening who are therapists may be like, wow, she was able to not see clients on Mondays and then do five hours of client work, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays plus groups, and then do the coaching on Fridays. It's like kind of, I know some other people do talk about this, but it's, it's somewhat radical to think that you can build a thriving practice that is not based on seeing nine, 10, 11 clients per day, which is exhausting. It is. It it really is. And, and for clients who might be listening to this, I think it's uh, this conversation that we're having today is so important. And I love that word radical, right? (laughs) Because for, for clients to your good point earlier, if I'm not modeling self-care and if I'm not able to come in from a place of abundance and if I'm not doing my workouts and taking care of my humanness, mind, body, and spirit, then how is that being a good instrument in the room with that client? So if a therapy client is listening to this, you know, we therapists are human beings. You know, We have lives. We have things that go on. We experience, you know, exhaustion. And um, I certainly wouldn't have wanted to be a, a, one of my clients that I was seeing in that 10th therapy spot at the end of the day. And I think I've been that therapy client in my past, in my healing work, where I was that client. We know when a therapist isn't present with us. Right. So, you know, I, I do think it's a, you know, it's such an important conversation. And it's important for clients to know that, you know, I want to model, like truly live, um, I want my insides and outsides to match what I what I'm preaching. You know, I want to be practicing. That's important to me to be authentic that way. Absolutely, and we can't take clients where we haven't been. So if we mm-hmm. don't know what it means to take care of ourselves, truly take care of what we need, mm-hmm. then how can we encourage our clients to do that? Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. It's such a unique and personal journey toward creating that that practice and setting up policy and best best practices for you. So what might look like a, what might feel like a really good practice and solid business policy for Mari may not be, you know, that same way of doing it for you or another therapist. I think when we go inside and we say, when do I like to see clients? Do I like to see three clients in a row and then take an hour break? You know, am I good with seeing five clients a day? You know, do I like to have a day in between seeing clients? Whatever that looks like. But when we give ourselves spaces 
um, we can grow our practice in ways that feel really good, and it doesn't have to be. Maybe a therapist doesn't want to do coaching. Maybe they prefer to do supervision. Part of me taking that time to figure out what I wanted to do, um, I realized that in my certification, we go through as certified sex addiction therapists. We call ourselves CSATs, right? Certified sex addiction therapists. We go through a very rigorous training, usually over a process of two years. Mm-hmm. There's 30 hours of supervision post licensure, and it's it's a lot. And then we have to renew our certification every two years and stay on top of trainings and so forth. And then after five years of doing the work, we can then apply to go through the training to supervise. Um, other licensed therapists who are going through that process. And what I realized um, as I got into that fifth year is, gosh, I I would love to do that. I don't have to do that within my state. I can do that from the comfort of my own home via Skype or on the telephone. And I can work with therapists who are licensed all over the world to help them with their certification, whether, and I have I have clients now, Laura, supervisees who are in South Africa, Australia, Canada, the UK. So it's really fun to do supervision with therapists like this, plus have my, you know, counselors coaching um, clients and see clinical clients. So diversifying my practice was important. That's such a great point. And that's really cool that you are working with people all over the world. I didn't realize that. But um, but also the idea that what you're spending your time on throughout the week is sort of nurturing and enriching certain parts of yourself so that, mm-hmm. you know, there's more space for each avenue that you're focusing in because it's because of the variety and the diversity, like you said. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the, and maybe somebody's listening right now and thinking, okay, well, that's great for Mari. So glad, you know, that you were able to dig that space out and it feels like I'm bogged down and it's impossible. But the way that I, I, I really get that, the way that I did that and, and weaned off of all of those clients to about half the clients I was seeing, that didn't happen overnight. That happened over the process of a year. Mm-hmm. Some clients were ready to be referred out to other adjunct support. Some clients we were ready to wrap up the work. And as those spaces became available, that's when I started taking little pockets of time or moving and shifting clients. And it really... It, I had to lean into the risk of saying to clients, I'm moving my practice to these hours, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday between 2 and 7, and then group work. And I understand if you're not able to continue the journey, but I do want to let you know that I'll be starting that. I think I started six months out with clients letting them know that that as of January, uh, I'll be starting that. And this was, again, a few years ago. And so if we need to get you referred to a therapist that can better support your schedule, I'm super happy to do that. Or if you're able to adjust and move into my new practice schedule, you know, I would be honored to continue supporting you. And, you know, a lot of clients were able to do that. I would say most of my clients, I think there were maybe half a dozen that couldn't do to their work schedule or child care. And I was able to refer out to trusted colleagues, but I was determined to create a practice that worked for me. And it did require me to lean into that fear and that risk of doing so. Absolutely. And I think that I hear that all the time from therapists that, well, I can't, um, 
I can't say that I won't see clients in the evenings and weekends because no one will be able to come. And the fact is, if people want to meet with you, if they can make it work, they will. And if they can't, then then working together isn't the right fit. And that's okay. And that's and that's okay. That's right. But it's important for us to, I feel, the most solid if I'm seeing a professional, whether it's a doctor or a dentist or, I don't know, a therapist, who they have a really good policy in place and they have good boundaries. I actually wouldn't be comfortable with a therapist that would say, sure, whenever you need to see me, I'm happy to do that. Sunday morning at 8, sure. (laughs) Friday night at 10, no problem. I want to know what their policy is. And we, our culture... You know, we're socialized to understand that we might need to take step out of work to go make that dentist appointment or that doctor's appointment. And my clients don't have a problem saying, you know what, I'm going to take my lunch hour to come and see you or I'm going to take a later lunch hour. I'm going to come in earlier and leave work a little earlier on Wednesday so I can make my appointment. We human beings have a way of figuring out our schedules. It's not impossible to make a 50-minute therapy session work. And also there's distance therapy for my clients who I've seen for a while and they're having a really busy week and they can't get in that week, I have no problem doing a phone session with them as long as they process well over the phone. We can make that work. There's flexibility on my side too. Yeah, and I think that honors what people need and, and they respect that, that mm-hmm. you can honor it. And But also I feel it can be hard for us to make time for ourselves and going to therapy is making time for taking care of what you need. It's just, mm-hmm. it's that parallel to what I was saying about the therapist with self care. If yeah. um, a client is saying, Oh, I can't take time out from work. I just can't leave. There's too much work. There's too much work. And you know, that's a sign that it's very hard to make time for themselves. And I've been there too. I can really relate to that, but it's not really healthy when you're prioritizing spending your time at work over your own emotional and mental well-being. That's right. That's right. And creating, I know with the clients that I see who tend toward workaholism Mm -hmm. or they find their identity in work, you know, so that they're not, they don't have to focus on other areas that need tending to, that when they begin to make time for themselves, I mean, just 50 minutes a week to come in and see me or see their therapist, they're able to pursue other creative endeavors because they start to carve out time from the work that we're doing. And I'm sure you see that as well, right, Laura? Yes. Which is super exciting. And, um, and one thing that I think might be nice to touch on is as I began to um, respect my schedule and be very clear and boundaried with what my clinical hours were, what my policy was, I began to add other policy to that as well. For example, I began to ask clients not to come into session if they were sick because Mm -hmm. I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be sitting 18 inches away from somebody, although I have compassion for illness, I don't want to be exposed to those germs because then I can't do the work of supporting other people. So I would ask clients, you know, one of my policies is if you are sick um, or you have, you know, pink eye or a rash or chicken pox or whatever it is, 
well, I have compassion for that. I'm going to ask you, number one, to practice self-care, and we can facilitate your session via the phone. If you do come in, and that, that is a policy now, and that's not honored, I will ask you to go to your car and either drive home and take care of yourself or find some shade, and we can do your session from your car. But I'm not exposing myself to that, mm. and I need to take care of myself. And I think even that's sort of radical for therapists to begin to say, it's not okay. Even though I would hear therapists say sometimes things like, it drives me crazy when clients come in and they're, they're really, really sick and they're coughing and sneezing and then I get sick or they're exposing other clients. And I say, have you shared that with them? Do you have a policy in your informed consent that addresses out of you know, addresses illness, addresses coming into the office with illness, addresses contact, you know, out-of-session contact, social media. You know, all of those things are really important to have as part of our informed consent. A lot of times clients just don't understand, you know. They don't know what boundaries are unless we let them know that very clearly. Absolutely, and especially if they really don't have any experience with therapy, therapists often expect clients to understand what the typical professional relationship boundaries are and the clients just really don't know because they That's right. don't have that experience. That's right. They don't. And unless we educate them and we're comfortable in doing that in a kind and compassionate, you know, consistent, predictable way, you know, how do clients aren't mind readers. So it is important for us to be clear about that. And one of the things that I'm, I'm really clear in my informed consent in my paperwork is that every fifth week, as I got more and more clear and I developed a practice that felt good to me and then I was, you know, developing other income streams and, you know, creating products for therapists and whatnot, you know, I decided that it was time for me. I noticed as I tuned into myself more and more that I was really good and really on and really on point in my clinical sessions for about four weeks. I felt really juiced up, really present. But then about the fifth week, I would start to experience a little bit of fatigue, mm -hmm. just needing to step away, really wanted to, you know, create some products that would support other therapists and do, you know, write another book. And I, I, I love public speaking. So I wanted to be able to teach and speak more publicly. And so I leaned into another radical idea for me, which was taking every fifth week off. And again, I, you know, I don't have, nobody's paying for my vacation time mm -hmm. off. Nobody's, I have to cover that time. So that was really scary to consider, gosh, what's that going to look like if I really do this? And for the first year, when I started, I've been practicing that now for five years. I consistently take a fifth week off. Um, I work four weeks and take a fifth week off. At summertime, I take a two-week actual vacation. And then at um, during the during Christmas, starting last year, I start start taking four weeks off. So the last two weeks of December and the first two weeks of January. And I realize that might sound like a tremendous amount of time off. And it was scary for me to start doing that. I started building up to that, and I've been doing that now for five years, and it's been the best gift I've ever given myself as a therapist, Laura, because it has allowed me, during those fifth weeks, I was so worried, how am I going to be able to bring income in? You know, will this put me into the poorhouse? And the opposite happened. As I made hmm. space open to develop other passions of mine as a professional, my first 
Within my first three months of taking that fifth week off, I was offered my first paid speaking gig, and this I think was maybe four years ago, three years ago, um, to be the uh, annual speaker for a group, a camped group up in Northern California, and they paid me $5,000 to come and do that. Mm -hmm. And and then and because that went really well, I, I taught on um, what I taught on was how to work uh, with partners of sex addicts, like the the curriculum and the treatment planning, and how to move how how to help them move through trauma. And so um, it went over really well. Got a lot of really good feedback on that, and then word got out in the community, and I was offered another um, camped paid speaking, um, annual conference speaker and teacher again for that same fee. So, and since then I've, I've, um, had other gigs like that. So paid speaking became part of my leveraged income. I began to, I wrote, you know, the ebook, the creative clinician, um, which are, uh, it's a, it's a, um, workbook of exercises and activities for therapists to use with clients and groups. And that, was, I, I mean, I just didn't even realize how that would take off. That's been beautiful. But if I wouldn't have had those fifth weeks off, you know, off in quotes, right? right. To be able to work on some of these other areas that I, I love to work on, whether it was coaching or attending a class or workshop and enhancing my skills or bundling up um, and putting a package together of clinical forms for therapists, all of these things, you know, or even training in my supervision for CSATs, then yes, it was scary. And yes, I did have to tighten my budget that first year. You know, that's important for me to disclose that, you know, Mm -hmm. there wasn't a vacation that year in terms of going anywhere. You know, I was doing my own manicure and pedicures and, you know, I really did have to tighten my budget, but it was really important for me to, you know, feel the pinch a little bit more in other areas or make sacrifices so that I could have that time, that regular time to build up other areas of my business. So is it a risk to take time off? Yeah. Did I, did I wonder if it would impact my clients? Would my clients leave? And again, it was the opposite, Laura. My clients, it gave them a chance to integrate the work that we were doing. So they would learn tools and we would discuss, you know, um, information and insight in in their therapy sessions over that month and then they would take that week off and they would do homework or they would integrate what we were learning and they would miss me and really share with me oh my gosh I'm so glad you're back I missed you and they knew that if there was an emergency we had an emergency plan in place that was clearly outlined so it actually had the opposite impact clients missed me they missed the work it gave them a little breather you know it was kind of a win-win I think that is so beautiful. And when you and I first heard about your fifth week off, I was I was really stunned, I'll say. I was like, Really? Like, how is that possible? So I love how you just explained, you know, how you came to that and how um it works for you. And the the thing that's just really coming through to me in this conversation is how you've allowed yourself the time and space to, again, nurture what you need. And also, I don't think you can tap into creativity when you're rushing and you're exhausted and not feeling physically well and, you know, just disengaged. And 
it's impossible. So when those of us who might be thinking about multiple income streams, as you mentioned, are thinking, well, what could I do? It's like you draw a blank because you don't have that. You can't really tap into that creative energy because you're so depleted. Right. But when you take the time, like you said, like when I pictured you going to the beach with your journal and your chair, just how peaceful that is. And I know, you know, that was probably a starting point. That wasn't the whole process, obviously. But the way you give yourself the time and space, and you know that time and space is there too. So when things come to you, I don't know if you do this, but I imagine maybe you jot down ideas. And then once the time comes to work on everything, you're, you know, you're ready to dive right in. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Laura. I I just love those points that you made. Um, it, it, It felt like that way for me too, when I started giving myself permission to take that fifth week off, um, it, it did feel like, what, is this even going to be possible? Is that okay for me to do that? Yeah. Is it ethically, you know, is it ethical? I mean, what anybody that works with me, whether it's in supervision or as a colleague or a coaching client, they know that law and ethics is really something that I am a broken record on. So all of those things are important, but yes, it's ethical. We get to design our practices exactly how we want to, as long as we're not harming a client and for clients that do need a higher level of care and aren't able to tolerate a therapist being away every fifth session, then I'm just not the right fit for them. Mm-hmm. And those, that has to be disclosed in my paperwork. But the clients that I work with appreciate it. And we have a game plan in place. If I start to see a new client and we've had a couple of sessions and in my fifth week rolls around, they've already been aware of it. We've already had a discussion about that. And we already have a plan in place for that. Maybe they do a check-in with me, whatever that means for them. But we have some plan in place. So clinically, I'm very careful about how I support clients around that but if I'm not taking care of of the most important relationship I'm ever going to be in which is the relationship with Mari Mm -hmm. then I can't take care of other relationships in my life including my clinical relationships so I do think it's important and as far as you know my ideas I I agree Laura when you're burned out or when you're racing around it's impossible to execute a plan. We might, I I talked to so many therapists yesterday. I facilitated or was we're on Wednesday. Sorry. On Monday, I facilitated, um, a really beautiful webinar training, a two and a half hour webinar training for 12 uh, therapists, um, who are doing amazing work in the world. And it was on teaching them how to develop a multiple income stream. And, all of these therapists have wonderful ideas. You know, pretty much every therapist I talk with has a creative idea or an ebook they want to write or a workshop they want to design, but but the song remains the same. They're busy mm-hmm. and they don't have time. They're so burned out at the end of the day. They don't have they don't have the energy to be able to manifest that to start really putting that down in a workable plan that they can lay out and start executing. And one thing, you know, I think it's helpful to work with a coach to have that journey companion to tell you, all right, this is how we're going to do it. And and it was fun on the webinar because I have my, 
you know, seven day, eight hours, you know, seven steps solution on how you take that idea out of your head and you put it, how you execute that. And it doesn't have to be this long drawn out process that's overwhelming, but we definitely have to have time and be able to give ourselves permission to take that time. And that can be scary. I get it. If you are seeing a lot of clients or if you're your own breadwinner, which I am, that can be really scary. Wow, that sounds so juicy, though. A seven day, eight hours a day systematic process of how to get that idea from your head to action. That's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It, yeah. And it's fun and it's doable. And, and if we don't have an hour in our day somewhere where we can start taking, you know, steps, focus steps, you know, so today I'm doing these three tasks in this hour and then tomorrow I'm doing these two tasks in this hour. If we don't have those steps in place and we don't have an hour to give ourselves, that's an, that's a message, mm-hmm. right? That's a message to self that something's out of balance because I can't, there, there are, you know, like most people, I'm a, a multi-dimensional human being. I have more than one interest and it's not just therapy. I love working with the clients I work with and serving them, but I also love helping, you know, colleagues and I love writing and I love producing materials and I do like speaking. So, you know, if I'm going to honor those different parts of myself, myself, and especially as I'm moving into my fifties and, you know, before I know it, I'll be, you know, in my 60s, I want to continue to develop as a professional and as a human being. I want to explore parts of myself, but we have to have time to do that, right, Laura? Absolutely. Absolutely. I find myself, you know, in in my dream, I might one day have something like your fifth week off. I'm not there yet, but I do find myself craving retreat time where I can work just on the things I want to focus on and not have distractions. And um, I believe it was you who kind of inspired that idea for me that, um, you know, it's okay to take time away by myself and work on focused projects. And it's so, again, I keep saying the word nourishing, but it is, it's just so it feeds something that, I really need to continue to feed. So um, I think just when I'm really busy, I just can't have that space in my head. Even if, even if I had an hour in between clients, Yeah, shifting gears can be really hard. Oh, such a good point. That's such a good point. So um, I, I want to, I wish there was more time because I really, I'm so, I love your niche. I think it's so fascinating and obviously so needed, so specialized and people are really lucky when they get to work with you on that issue because it's so painful when your partner has sex addiction or porn addiction and the effects on the, you know, the partner are so intense having someone who can work so special in such a specialized way with all of your skills and experience is really wonderful. Thank you, Laura. Yes, it really is a, a complex work, but a work that I've come to love. 
And in the beginning, I thought I only wanted to work with partners because I had been a partner of a mm-hmm. sex addict. So I thought the work that I would do, and especially because of facing heartbreak and writing that book, you know, that that would be where I would do the work. And after about six months of working with partners, I realized that I was developing a real interest in working with the addict Mm -hmm. as well. And now I see about half and half, about half of the clients that I work with are men and women struggling with sex addiction. And then the other half are partners of, of sex addicts. And I love it. You know, it's not, you know, it's work that you, you really have to love to do because again, it's complex work, but I, I really enjoy it. And, you know, just to circle back, if we could just for one second mm-hmm. onto the fifth week concept, you know, if a person isn't able to take a fifth week off, maybe you start with taking every 12th week off. You know, I like it. Yeah. It's hard to give ourselves permission to take time off the, um, especially when you're self-employed and you don't get paid during that time. And I was again, awed by you saying that you take every fifth week plus two weeks in the summer Mm -hmm. plus four weeks around the winter holidays. And I think, um, as much as you said, it seems like a lot of time off. I, I think it's just our culture that tells us that we shouldn't take much time off. I I couldn't agree with that more. And we know, you know, just from what we've seen in the media, I think especially over the last decade, about how um, how we, uh, you know, compare to places like Australia mm-hmm. and, you know, other, other parts of the world, other countries in the world. You know, other countries in the world give lots of time off for employees. And yes, it is hard when you are self-employed because nobody is paying for our sick days or our vacation time. But each one of us should should have be saving toward that, right? Mm-hmm. We should be t- socking away a little bit of money each week. And I, I think that many therapists come into the work, their work, and their private practice without a business background. In my case, I was very fortunate because I had worked in corporate America. I have a business background, and I'd owned two businesses before, so I knew what that looked like building the the business part of the foundation, mm-hmm. and um, and how to set up you know a retirement plan for myself, and how to contribute to that, and how to set aside money and budget that into into my um, time away and sick time. And we, we need to be doing that. And I think for clients, um, one of the things that I like to do at times is educate. I write blogs and I'll, and I'll talk about this. And I think it's so key, Laura, is sort of educating the public about um, therapist fees. So if a therapist is charging 150, just using that as a round number, right, mm-hmm. for – a therapy session, sometimes I think clients or maybe even other professionals think, wow, you know, you're making the bank, you know, mm-hmm. charging 150 an hour. But here's the thing, for every clinical, you know, session we have, there's time outside of that session where we're doing our clinical notes, our treatment planning, where we're getting continuing education, mm-hmm. where we're having to connect for check-ins with clients, where we're having to do, you know, reading to support a client. So for every clinical hour, you know, there is work outside of that clinical session. And so that reduces that hundred and first of all, we have to share it with uncle Sam, right? Mm-hmm. So that takes that down 
by 30% to $100 an hour. And then you reduce that by another $30 by the time that we spend outside of sessions supporting that clinical work. And then when you take out money for rent and keeping the lights on mm-hmm. and everything from Kleenex to water in the office to you name it, and continuing education, now we're looking at maybe $50 an hour. And when you take that and you take money out for vacation and you take money and you put that aside for retirement and sick time, therapists are not making $150 an hour. So it's really important that we educate the public about what that looks like, about what our expenses are, not to make anybody feel bad, but so that we can know that we really must charge a fee that will support us and that our work is priceless. We help people move away from generational, you know, legacies Mm -hmm. of pain. We help people with addiction, divorce, you know, not taking their own lives. So the work that we bring in is absolutely worth the fee that we charge. And then out of that fee, there's a lot that we have to pay out of that. So making a good a good living and creating a life that is balanced, I believe that can be done because I can do that. I did that. I am doing that. And you, I think, know my story, Laura. I, I was a foster care kid. You know, I don't have a silver spoon, a rich husband. If I'm able to do that, anybody can do it. You don't need a PhD in creating multiple income streams. Oftentimes, we just need a little support to do that. Well, yes, your story is very inspiring. And I, I think that you have a lot of personal strength and resilience that everyone, anyone can admire, but I, I'm certainly inspired by your story in, in many ways, <laughs> on you. many levels. Oh, thank you. But um, I appreciate what you just said about all of the expenses of being a therapist. And um, I think that's a good segue to what the last thing I wanted to ask you about was just if you could talk more about what you do in your coaching work so that if there's anyone listening who's interested in coaching, whether with you or someone else, that they can understand kind of one of the ways that it can be offered in terms of what you do. I would be very happy to do that. Um, Yeah, so there's a lot of information. Uh, May I give the website because that might be helpful if people want to pop out now and go check that out. Would that be all right with you? Sure, sure. And I'll also put it in the show notes. Oh, great. Okay, good. So anybody who's listening to this, whether you're a small business owner or a therapist, and you think it would be um, helpful to work with a coach, um, I would be more than happy to talk with you. The caveat to that is I'm typically booked out, Laura, about three months in advance. So today we're in September. I think it's the second and I'm booked out through the first of November, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other really good coaches out there that can be supportive. So my um, coaching website has freebies. It has a lot of good information just for people who are curious about coaching. And the website is www.thecounselorscoach.com. Again, www.thecounselorscoach.com thecounselorscoach.com and um, you can pop over to my store and in that store I've got little freebies here and there. I also have products that I've developed that I've just received 
so much beautiful feedback and I'm really so honored and touched by the feedback I've been receiving for therapists, mainly about my clinical um, forms packet that I've gotten a lot of good feedback about that. I try and keep everything just under the price of a therapy session. Um, mm -hmm. I've got group forms on there that are packaged up for $29.95 as a support for people who don't want to reinvent the wheel. I have the Creative Clinician, that's $39.95, and this is um, 31 exercises to support clients in group therapy, just a number of supportive packages for therapists, even therapists who are looking to expand their practice, and they need an employment manual. I spent over a year on an employment manual working with a labor attorney, a HIPAA expert, and a human resources expert, and spent, you know, several thousand dollars of my own money to develop a product, first of all, for my counseling center, but also for other therapists. So, and just beyond all of the products, there's just tons of blog information. I have information about, um, uh, SEO. So if you're trying to figure out, you know, what search engine optimization is all about, I work with a specialist, you know, for a while on that. And I have resources there and all kinds of good freebies stuff too. And I'm not the only game in town. There are other very good coaches as well. But if you're curious about coaching or you'd like to connect with me or you just want to learn more about it, you know, I've created a website that has a lot of resource, not just to market myself, Laura, I, honestly, although I don't think that's bad to market oneself, <laughs> but just to provide um, kind of just a, a portal, you know, for other professionals to go to and feel like they have a little safe place to land, to look around and feel supported in, you know? Yeah, and I know that um, you do so much in-depth research on everything you create to make sure that it's really top-notch. And I know that anyone who sees your products and um, will get, if they're interested in them, they'll get a top-notch product. I have no question about that. So thank you. I'm happy to support you with that. But I'm, I'm looking at your website right now. Is the webinar that you mentioned that you had with 12 people, was that a one-time thing or is that? Um, I'm not on my website, but I think, give me one quick second here and get on there real quick. <laughs> Um, that was actually a closed page where people signed up for that. Oh, I see. Okay, I'm on the website right now. But um, I think if you go over here, one thing that while I'm pulling that up is I would suggest for people who are thinking, oh, my gosh, how does, you know, I've heard before, Mary, how do you do all of that, you know? <laughs> well, first of all, I don't do all of it. I'm a, what I talk to therapists about when we do create you know, projects or webinars or workshops or an ebook is we have to outsource. Yeah. So I have a graphic designer that I work with who does the artwork. I it's have beautiful. a virtual assistant that I work with who I love. I have a, um, sorry, a copy editor that I work with. So I don't do all of that. You know, I have other people that I pay as a support and then I support their businesses as well. So if we look at, um, I think it's under professional training. Yeah. So if you see that coaching support pull down, um, tab right there and you click on professional training, you'll see workshops and webinars for therapists. And then the first one, as you scroll down is how to create multiple income streams, webinar workshop. Oh, okay. And that gives some information about that. And anybody that would want to, um, I do, I facilitate that about three times a year. Awesome. And so, 
um, anyone who's interested in attending the next one, um, I know we're, I think we're Facebook friends, Laura, so you can go and see some of the feedback I'm getting on Facebook and in social media from the 12 uh, therapists that attended on Monday. The feedback's been great. So, you know, anybody who's interested in that, um, you can either sign up for my mailing list there. It'll pop up and you can join the fun there. You can send me an email. You know, I'm happy to add you to the wait list and and our next one will be um, around the first of the year. So, any way that I can support, I'm really glad to do that. Yeah. You have so many great things to offer. And so it's it's kind of like people can work with you in person, but then if they can't, you know, get to California or um, what, you're, what they want from you isn't something that is done in person, you have so many other ways that people can learn from you. And I think that's just really wonderful. It's not just the multiple income streams that benefits you through what comes in, but it's what you're sharing out with so many more people than you can. You know, oh my gosh. Yes. I lo- I mean, you really just described my philosophy. <laughs> That's the first thing I always lead with in my multiple income stream workshop. I think it's my third slide where I talk about my philosophy of living with an open palm. And what that, what I mean by that is if we tightly hold on to all of our information and our time and, you know, our materials and, and we're not, you know, willing to share money or any of that or support, yeah, nothing's going to leave that closed fist mm-hmm. and you'll hold on to all of your information, but then there's no room for anything to flow in. So when we live, when I live with an open palm and I give of my time, like today, mm-hmm. right, and I mm-hmm. give of my support and if somebody needs material or they have a question for me, um, I think I'm I'm known in my community to be supportive and to I'm very accessible. I have boundaries around my time, but I do my best to answer questions or I'm very active on my blog. Then then that that is me flowing out material information and support, but that just means that that makes space for other information support material to flow back into me. And so right. what's not to love about that? So I I am so on the same page with you there, Laura. <laughs> Well, I, and I am so grateful of that you were able to give your time today to participate with this podcast, because I think people will be really interested in what you shared and how your perspective about the way you do your work um, has changed over time and how they can maybe look at their work a different way. I think it's really, it's been as I said, very inspirational for me. So I really appreciate you coming here to share it so that more people can learn through listening to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Laura. It's been my absolute pleasure. I was really genuinely excited to connect with you. Um, I have long admired your work and, and what you're doing in your corner of the world and just the way that you participate in the world as a healing individual. Um, and, and how you support colleagues. So it is beyond my pleasure to support you here and your listeners. And um, thank you for the good work. And also thank you for the opportunity to to share about my passions and to be vulnerable and share about how I moved through burnout and compassion fatigue into creating a practice that truly does feel um, authentic and lovely and fills my heart. And... Um, and if what I've shared today supports other professionals or even clients, 
you know, then I've done what I was supposed to do today. That's beautiful. And I hear your passion for your work and everything you say. It's so it so comes through. And so thank you for sharing that instead of just being, you know, closed off. <laughs> That's not you. <laughs> Don't want to be closed off, right? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work. No, uh, my pleasure. Well, I look forward to meeting one day in person, Laura. And until then, just know that, um, you know, standing in support of all the good work that you're doing. And again, such a pleasure to be here today. Thank you. All right. Well, that's it for today. So thanks for listening to the Baltimore Annapolis Psychotherapy Podcast. You can check out Mari's website at www.thecounselorscoach.com. And uh, again, I'll have that in the show notes. Till next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Baltimore Annapolis Psychotherapy Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more, visit Laura's website, www.lauraregan.lcswc.com.